All right, good morning. Good morning. Let me try it again. Good morning. One more time. Good morning. There we go. All right. Hey, um, I'm Scott. I'm thrilled to be able to be here. Thank you for joining us. If you're new with us, we want you to know that you are welcomed here. Um, I want to ask, who else in the room has ever done that? That's me. Who else has done that? All right, a bunch of you. How, how about this? I, I hope you were smart enough, unlike me, to close your mouth when you did so. No bug got in there, but boy, obviously it stretched things out and it's been flapping ever since. But anyway, um, and I, I had cotton mouth for like a week after that, so I, I hope you did it better than me. But let me ask this. How many have a fear of heights? How many people in the room have a fear of heights? A lot of people. Okay. How about a fear of flying? Do we have anybody with fear of flying? A few. Okay. More on the other than that, but well, I had both at one point, and so I chose to do that in part because I wanted to face the fears. I think that's sometimes something we need to all do to overcome a fear. We face it and deal with it head on, so I chose to do that. But both of those fears can lead to the fear that I want to talk about today. In fact, as we conclude our five-week series about the topic of fear this morning, I want to talk to you about one last one that I think is maybe the biggest one. Whenever you see a list of all the phobias in the world that people tend to struggle with, this is always listed as either number one, two, or three, often number one, and it is simply the fear of death, the fear of death. A lot of people are afraid of flying or afraid of heights because it kind of relates to the fear of death. Let me ask you, how many of you struggle with the fear of death? Some way, in some way. All right, all right. I know a lot of people do. Maybe you don't want to admit it, but I think a lot of us do. And the question is, how does it affect you? I mean, does it ever keep you up at night? Does it ever give you a stomach ache? Or is it maybe something you choose to try to not think about because you're afraid of it? So you just try to bury your head in the sand. Well, Woody Allen once said, he said, I'm not afraid of dying. I just don't want to be there when it happens. I'm like, all right, well, there you go. There's one way to handle it. A fourth grade Sunday school teacher once asked her class on a Sunday morning, her little children in her class, she said, how many of you want to go to heaven? And then one, when one little boy did not raise his hand, she looked at him and she said, so Billy, don't you want to go to heaven when you die? And he said, oh, sure, when I die, I want to go to heaven. I thought you were looking for volunteers today. <laughs> and um, I mean, we Christians can talk a good game about wanting to go to heaven, but the truth is the fear of death affects Christians oftentimes just as much as it does those who do not know the Lord. Death is mysterious. Death is permanent. Death is usually undignified. It's often painful. It's uh, counterintuitive to that instinct that God has given us to want to live. And despite all of that, it represents a strange combination of fascination alongside of this fear, which is why nearly 75% of all news stories on television are about death in one way or another. You know, another accident, another tragedy, another murder, another disaster of some kind. One anchorman said, if it bleeds, it leads. And that is often the case with our news. The Bible refers to people being in lifelong bondage to death. It is a struggle for most of us. Famous publisher William Randolph wouldn't let death be discussed in his presence. Billionaire Howard Hughes did not write a will because he did not want to face or talk about his own mortality. John Madden, famous football coach and announcer, used to take trains every week from one city to the next across the country because he was afraid of what might happen if he ever got in an airplane. 
I think the fear of death has fueled much of the modern health movement. I mean, think about it. We walk on mills, we pump iron, we, we take vitamins, we um, you know, pay double for almost anything that is organic, all in hopes that maybe it will delay or somehow help us avoid death or prolong it at least until we get there. You know, there are so many different angles of this situation that we deal with. Now, others go to the opposite extreme and talk about death all the time. You know, some people are scared of it, but others talk about it incessantly, constantly reminding those nearest them, oh, this, this could be my last Christmas. This might be my last birthday. You know, you might not ever see me again after this. And, you know, I, I used to try that, not because I was afraid of death, but because I just wanted better presents, but it didn't really work. But, um, you know, now as we've been discussing in this series, the fear of death, like the other fears we've discussed, is not always altogether bad. The will to live is, again, one of the strongest God-given instincts that we have. I think the innate fear of dying can lead us to be wisely cautious and avoid unwise recklessness in many cases. It can be a deterrent to suicide. It can be a deterrent to abusing our bodies or making other unwise choices. It can even motivate us toward holy living. After 9-11-2001, church attendance skyrocketed across our whole country. It's amazing to watch how things like that work. Um, the threat of death, when it seems ominous, uh, motivates many people to think about and pay attention to spiritual things that maybe in other moments they would have chosen not to. Well, few Bible characters confronted death more frequently or more courageously than that of David, King David of the Old Testament, and it's his story that I'd like to look at with you this morning. So if you have a Bible, I'd encourage you to open it up. You can probably find one in the seat around you as well if you didn't bring one with you. I want to encourage you to turn to 1 Samuel uh, in the Old Testament, 1 Samuel chapter 17. Before we get there, let me tell you this. You know, when David was a teenager, he, as you probably know, he confronted the giant Goliath. I love that story. It's one of my favorites in Scripture. In fact, I talked about it briefly at our outdoor service two weeks ago, which, by the way, was our outdoor service wonderful or what? Wasn't that great? If you were there, you know, it was, that was a lot of fun. And, uh, but anyway, when David confronted Goliath, he did so without fear, with no fear. I mean, despite the fact that Goliath was a terrifying foe who stood over nine feet tall, the Bible tells us, and who was dressed from head to toe with, with protective armor, I mean, there was a lot to fear, but David faced him without any fear. And Goliath taunted the Israelite army day after day, challenging them to send out their biggest and baddest warrior to come out here and face me one-on-one, mano-a-mano, you know, uh, winner takes all. That was his plan on behalf of his army versus God's army, the Israelites. But 1 Samuel 17, verse 24, tells us that whenever the Israelites saw the man, they all fled from him in great fear. Every time, all of them. Now, David was just a teenager, right? And, and so he said, this is my paraphrase, but he said, I'll fight him. I'm not afraid of him. I mean, I've got God on my side. Who is he to defy the armies of the living God? I, I'm not afraid of him. Well, if you know the story, you know that King Saul protested and said, David, you're just a boy, and Goliath has been a fighting machine for years. I mean, what makes you think that you can stand up and face him? Well, David went on to explain to the king 
that he had, as a shepherd, had to face a lion and a bear that came after his sheep. And in verse 37 of the same chapter, he told this to Saul. He said, the Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of the Philistine. Well, you probably know the rest of the story. David downed the trash-talking giant with just a slingshot and a smooth stone that he picked up, and, and he became an instant national hero. Again, no fear of death at all. The Bible is clear he did not fear death because he trusted in God to give him the victory. But I can't help but wonder if maybe another reason David was so brave might have also been because he was a teenager. I mean, think about it. Teenagers, generally speaking, are pretty bold. They are less afraid of certain things than a lot of the rest of us. They are not, I mean, they are comfortable with taking risks. They stand up to almost anybody who who throws out a dare, I dare you to this, I dare you to that. They're quick to say, okay. They simply don't fear death often because they don't think it's going to happen to them. They haven't seen it very often. Let me ask you this. Have you ever been on I-25 and, and seen a young man fly by you on a motorcycle at maybe 90 miles an hour, weaving in and out of traffic? I mean, no fear of death. Never seen that? And then five minutes later, you come up behind a 90-year-old man driving 35, holding everybody up. You're like, what in the world? You know, kind of seems a little upside down. I mean, think about it. If the old man has an accident and crashes, he's probably going to miss out on what? Maybe seven or eight months of his life. Whereas, the, the, I'm sorry, but I'm just saying. Statistics, I'm just going with that. But anyway, okay, a short amount of time. We'll just say that. Whereas the teenager, if he crashes and, and, and has an accident, I mean, he's talking seven or eight decades of life that he might have thrown away. I mean, to me, it seems like the teenager ought to be the one driving super cautious and the old man ought to be driving like he's in the Indianapolis 500. That's the way I think it ought to go. But. Well, a few, few years after the whole David and Goliath scene, David has another close call with death. If you have your Bible open, turn just a few pages over to 1 Samuel chapter 20. 1 Samuel 20. At this point, King Saul was so threatened by David's popularity and success that he has become insanely jealous of him, the Bible teaches. And in fact, twice he tried to throw a spear at him and kill him, um, simply because David just, you know, again, was his object of jealousy, and David was only playing a harp trying to comfort Saul. And Anyway, David was able to duck and barely escape with his life, and Saul sends soldiers to hunt him down, but David's wife finds out about it and turns, you know, tells him all about it, and David's able to escape through a window just barely in the nick of time. I mean, but running for his life, not the same guy. And he later tells his best friend, Jonathan, who just so happens to be the son of King Saul. He says, and this is a paraphrase, of course, he says, so Jonathan, what's up with your dad? He's trying to kill me constantly. He's trying to kill me. And Jonathan's like, no, that, no, that can't be true. And, and David in chapter 20, verse 3, 2 and 3, Bible says he makes a solemn oath and then he says this to his friend Jonathan about his dad, uh, Saul. He says, Yet as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, there is only a step between me and death. Do you see it? I mean, a 180 degree turn from David, the one who slayed Goliath, to now David who's scared to death of King Saul, somebody who's not nine feet tall. He's not so confident. He's not so brave. One of the first places he then flees to is, surprise, surprise, it's kind of crazy to me, he flees to Gath, the hometown of Goliath and the Philistines. 
I think in hopes that since he had become an enemy of King Saul, and knowing that the Philistines were enemies of King Saul, that maybe the Philistines would now take him in and even protect him. But while these people were pagans, they were not dummies, and the soldiers told their king, basically they said, hey, look, king, this David fella, he is dangerous. Watch out for him. There are songs written about him, songs that are like, hey, while, while uh, uh, Saul has killed or slain his thousands, David has slain his tens of thousands. And I mean, they, th- this guy is dangerous. Well, David heard about this warning given to the king in verse 12 of 1 Samuel 21. 21 verse 12 says, David took these words to heart and was very much afraid of Achish, king of Gath. So, listen to what he did. So, he pretended to be insane in their presence, and while he was in their hands, he acted like a madman, making marks on the door of the gate and letting saliva run down his beard. Wow. What a different persona. What a different attitude, a different perspective about death now. Scared of it so terribly compared to the same guy who years ago was so willing and brave to face Goliath. What happened? What changed? Well, the fear of death was now becoming a real threat to David. So as we just read, he tried that old not guilty by reason of insanity trick. You know, I don't know. If maybe that's when that whole thing started. I don't know. But, but uh, one way or another, it worked, and the king let him go. Well, for the next decade or so, and by the way, he eventually does become king. But before that, David runs, and he hides, and In many cases, he's in cave after cave, living as a fugitive with a price tag on his head, knowing that King Saul and his men are after him, looking to kill him. Now, his attitude and his perspective grew, and he changed, and uh, and yet he wavered over and over throughout this time frame as well. It was a long 10-year period in his life. Well, things started to change with another encounter with his good friend, Jonathan, the son of the king. 1 Samuel chapter 23, verse 16 Saul's son Jonathan went to David at Horish and helped him find strength in God. In other words, helped him return to his first love, helped him go back to his roots and and understand that with God all things are possible and he didn't need to be afraid. Well, as we look at and read about this lengthy period in David's life, to me it becomes a lot easier to understand why so many of the Psalms You know, if you open your Bible up, generally right down the middle, if you open it up, you'll find the book of Psalms. And if you read through them, and I love reading the Psalms, if you'll read through them, you notice that a lot of them, interestingly, are about death and about fear and about enemies chasing us and all these kinds of things. And and when you understand David's story, kind of the background for all of these Psalms that he wrote, it begins to make more sense. I want to share with you just a few of these psalms, and as we look at them, I want, to, I want you to notice how David kind of vacillated back and forth as he wrote them between absolute faith in God at one moment and a horrible fear of death, trembling, and all that at other times. I find it interesting because I find it somewhat similar to me and to many of us in terms of how we also tend to waffle back and forth with feelings and emotions Anybody in the room ever kind of felt plagued by inconsistency in certain respects like that? Yeah, okay, three of us, okay. Maybe a few of us, okay. But anyway, 
Look at this, beginning in Psalm chapter 9, and then we'll just kind of jump around to as we flow through the book of Psalms. Look at this, chapter 9, verse 13, David says, Lord, see how my enemies persecute me. Have mercy and lift me from the gates of death. And then just not far after that, we go to the next one. Chapter 18, he says, the cords of death entangled me. The torrents of destruction overwhelmed me. The cords of the grave coiled around me. The snares of death confronted me. I mean, he's scared to death. And yet then, just a few chapters later in chapter 23, he says those famous words that many of us have even memorized. Even though I walk through the valley, uh, through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. I will fear no evil whatsoever, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Love that. Yet then, if you skip ahead to Psalm 55, look at where he's back to now. My heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen on me. Fear and trembling have beset me. Horror has overwhelmed me. I said, oh, that I had the wings of a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. And yet one chapter later, he's back to feeling confident. He says, when I am afraid, I will trust in you, O Lord. I will praise you, God, for your holy word. I trust in it and I trust in you and I will not be afraid. Wow. But then, Psalm 88 From my youth I have suffered and been close to death. I have borne your terrors and am in despair. But then Psalm 141. But my eyes are fixed on you, sovereign Lord. In you I take refuge. Do not give me over to death. Isn't that amazing to see how David struggled in a way that might be similar to where we're often at? He struggled through this period in life with fear of death, often threatening to overwhelm him as he lived in caves and on the run from from King Saul, greatly fearing this whole potential end to his life. But eventually, as he endured and came back to focusing on his Lord more than on his fear, David turned a corner. In fact, he, he reigned for king as a king for over 40 years, the Bible says, and did many great things as a king who greatly honored the Lord, to the point that he is the only person in all of God's Word that has the phrase, a man after God's own heart, associated with him. Really amazing. The Bible records that on his deathbed, David made some final arrangements. He placed the crown upon his son Solomon's head. He advised his son how to honor and follow the Lord as the next king. The Bible tells us that he died as an old man in his bed. And And I don't know this part, but I just kind of guess maybe he did so with a smile on his face. I I think clearly he was in a whole different place. He had a whole different perspective about fear and about death when he died than he did in some of those other moments where he was trembling and so afraid. So I want to take with the time we have left, um, the remaining minutes, to just talk about four lessons we can learn from the story and life of David that can help us also deal with the fear of death that tends to be an issue for so many of us. First of all, if you're filling in the blanks, here you go. And, and I know we ran out of bulletins today. We were packed in first service and just ran out of bulletins, so I'm sorry for that. But uh, maybe you write it down on a piece of you know, scratch paper. But here you go. If you're filling in the blanks, death is inevitable. We need to remember that. Death is inevitable, and we need to make sure that we are prepared for it. Prepared for it. You know, David didn't pretend that he was invincible or ignore the reality of death. He acknowledged it. He prepared for it. And so when it came, he was ready. He wasn't afraid. I think one of the reasons so many of us fear death is because we fear God's judgment. 
So many people are afraid of death because they are afraid of hell. They know they've made mistakes. They know they've sinned. They've gone their own way. And, and they are therefore afraid of judgment, afraid of what might come after death. The book of Hebrews, after all, does tell us that it is appointed once for all to die and after that to face judgment. And knowing that that is true, many of us fear death and fear judgment and what might come after death. But friends, we don't have to. We don't have to. The most important thing you can do, and I want you to understand this, the most important thing you can do to prepare for death and to offset the fear of death is to simply receive Christ as your Lord and Savior and be baptized into Him. And if you do so, you have nothing more to fear. It's a good time for an amen. All right. You know, the cure for this fear is to not play ostrich and bury our head in the sand and, you know, refuse to face the reality of death. You know, the cure is instead to admit that we're a sinner in need of a Savior, repent of our sin and ask God for forgiveness and accept that He is there eager and waiting to throw his arms around you to forgive you and to love you, to adopt you into his family, and to remove the sting of death, remove the fear of of all of those things associated with death, including judgment. You know, there's a story in Acts chapter 24 where the Apostle Paul, it's a really cool story, the Apostle Paul is talking back and forth with a man named Governor Felix, who is clearly interested in spiritual things but doesn't seem to be a Christian, but he's, he finds these spiritual conversations interesting and intriguing, so he asks a lot of questions. And in chapter 24 of the book of Acts, in verse 25, we read this, because things change when a certain phrase is brought up. As Paul talked about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix was afraid and said, that's enough for now. You may leave. I don't want to hear anymore. Because he didn't want to talk about or be reminded of his own mortality and the judgment that is to come, that scared him. And many of us, like Felix, are terrified of the judgment that is to come, and so we don't want to hear about it. We don't want to talk about it. If you'd have known the pastor was talking about that today, you might have said, you know what, today's a good day to go hiking or whatever, and stay at home because you don't like the topic. But I tell you what, avoiding the subject does not change its reality or its inevitability, right? It does not at all. We all need to accept that death is inevitable for all of us, and then simply prepare for it as best we can, letting God help us through His instructions and His holy word to be prepared and be ready so that we can, when our time comes, fall into the arms of Jesus who is there. The Bible tells us so clearly that He doesn't want anyone to perish, but He wants all to come to repentance, and He loves you and wants to embrace you and welcome you into that next chapter of life. In the book of Acts, um, in chapter 2, the Apostle Peter preaches an amazing and powerful sermon. And the Bible says that after he finished it, or as he finished it, the people, a large crowd, were cut to the heart. Cut to the heart, and they asked him, Peter, what must we do? What should we do to be saved? And Peter's response was simple. He said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins and for the gift of the Holy Spirit. Friends, I want you to understand something. Baptism is not a have-to thing. It is a get-to thing. I'll tell you this, in first service, somebody came up to me at the end of the service and said, I, this is kind of ironic, but I was, coming, I was coming to talk to you 
Wednesday um, about the possibility of getting baptized, maybe in a small group setting, not with a whole lot of people. But I just feel like I need to right here, right now, and it kind of scares me, but I want to right now. And, and I just want you to understand, people, baptism is a get-to thing in that respect. And we need to understand it correctly. You know, in the book of Acts, beyond this situation here in Acts chapter 2, there are 11 total times when somebody uh, got saved, when somebody came and gave their life to the Lord. And in 10 of the 11 times, baptism very clearly is talked about and, and shown to have happened. In the 11th time, it seems to be uh, inferred. Now, I think we have to also understand the Bible is clear that salvation is a free gift from God. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, as you see on the screen, makes that crystal clear. So baptism is not about earning anything. It's not about working toward your salvation, not at all. But the question, therefore, should never be, do I have to be baptized? That's not the question. The question is, should I be? The answer is yes. And then you, the next question is, well, when can I be? Why, why not now? And, and I want to give you that opportunity here in a little while when we're done, as somebody else did in first service. But, you know, the reason we don't fear death as Christians is, for one, because we've already died if we've been baptized. By dying to self and being reborn in Jesus, we've already gone through it. We understand it. Death is not something to fear. That's what baptism symbolizes. I love how God says it in Romans chapter 6, verse 4, through Paul. He says, we were therefore buried with him, Jesus, through baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life, being raised to new life. When you are immersed in Christian baptism, in that water right back there, or, or anywhere else, it can be a river, it can be anywhere, whenever you are baptized in the water, in that respect, you let go of your fear of death. You are buried into Christ, and, and you die to that fear. That thing is put to death. You don't have to worry about it. You don't have to fear it. And the Bible tells us that we are a new creation when we're in Christ. The old is gone. The new has come. You rise to be a whole new person through your through the sacrifice of Jesus and your acceptance of Him as your Lord and Savior. It is the most important and most beautiful and amazing moment in any person's life if you walk this earth and you make that decision. Nothing better. So if you're scared of dying, I would just tell you the first thing you need to do is trust Jesus with your whole heart as David did and surrender to Him and be baptized into Him. And believe scriptures like 1 John 1, 9 that says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness and take away the sting of death, the fear of death. You know, jumping out of an airplane is scary no matter what, no matter who you are. But when you prepare for it and listen carefully to all the instructions and you strap on that parachute as you've been instructed to do, and then you heed the other instructions that you've been told, it's really not that bad. Now, I still look a little scared there, but it's really not that bad because you have put hope in this thing called a parachute, and you know, you trust and believe that it's going to open up and take care of you. And there's confidence that comes from having that parachute, and plus confidence from having a guy strapped five inches from your face. That was a little weird, but it's what you have to do when you're a first-timer. But anyway... You know, there is confidence that comes from, from following the instructions, from doing what you're doing, and knowing that that, that uh, parachute is going to save your life. And in a similar way, when we follow the instructions that God has given us, we have nothing to fear. Now, death may still seem a little bit, you know, unnerving because it's unfamiliar, it's unknown. We've never done it, but we can trust that God's Word is true and that He will provide and take care of us. 
So the first thing we learn from David in terms of dealing with the fear of death is to accept that it is inevitable and then just do what we can to prepare for it appropriately, following his instructions in the Bible. Secondly, we need to accept the fact that some fear is normal, even for Christians. Some fear is normal. You know, on one hand, again, King David, who set an incredible example for us in many respects, David said, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Hear that strength and confidence? And yet that's the same guy who said, my heart is in anguish, fear and death have overwhelmed me. Like what? You know, many of the strongest believers I know in this world have struggled with the fear of death. It is a normal thing. Again, the strongest will we have is the will to live that God has given us. And we've never experienced death. It is unknown. It is unfamiliar. It is therefore natural to be a little bit apprehensive about it. The idea of leaving this world behind is hard to imagine. The idea of leaving those that we love behind is hard to swallow. Satan attacked Jesus with temptation toward the end of his life on earth. Just before Jesus went to the cross, he prayed, recorded in Luke chapter 22, Father, if, there, if you are willing, take this cup from me. In fact, the Bible also says in the next verse, And being in anguish, his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. So Satan may very well tempt us with doubt and fear, of course. But when that happens, what we need to do is the same thing Jesus did. It's kind of the M&M plan. If you're with us much, you know about the M&M plan, the memorize and meditate plan of Scripture that we have. You can pick one up out there if you want it. But the idea is, is to let God's Word be our focus. Not the fear, not death itself or any of those things, but focus on His Word, His truth, the promises that God gives us in His Holy Word. Promises like, what he said in Hebrews 13, 5, when he said, when he said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Oh, there's strength and comfort in that, hope in that. Or when he said in John 11, when Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life, the one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Or how Jesus said in John 14, he said, I am the way, no, no, he, well, he said, first of all, do not let your hearts be troubled. He said, you believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, this is my paraphrase, you can bet on the fact that I will come back and I will take you to be with me. When it's all ready, I will come back and take you that you may be there with me also. And when we learn to meditate on and focus on scriptures like these and so many others that are similar, Remembering that they come from the ultimate promise keeper, the one who has never in all of history failed on any promise, to make good on any promise, he's never failed to do that, then we can find all kinds of strength and comfort, even though some fear is natural. Thirdly, I think from David's story, we need to learn to be confident that God will supply the strength we need when the time comes. He will. You know, when the time came for David to die, he faced it without fear. He was ready to go because he knew the Lord in a personal and deep way. Now, David was not perfect. If you know his story as well, um, or very well, you know that he made a lot of mistakes, most notably the time that he lusted and lied and then committed adultery and then even committed murder trying to cover all that up. It was a very ugly and terrible time in his life that he repented of. He was, of course, not proud of that. But in addition to repenting of it, he turned back to the Lord. And even though he was flawed and often mistake-prone, he was confident 
and comfortable in his relationship with the Lord because he kept coming back. He kept repenting of his mistakes. He kept trying to let God help him learn from his mistakes. And ultimately, he stayed faithful and focused on the Lord as a whole throughout life in general. That's why he was called a man after God's own heart. That's what led him to write Psalm 51. After that terrible season of sin, the adultery with Bathsheba and the murder of Uriah, her husband, the Bible tells the time when, when Nathan came and confronted him and David responded appropriately. And he wrote this with a very, very remorseful attitude and heart. He said, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Verse 10, he said, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. And you know what? God did all the above. God forgave him. God restored him. God filled him with joy. And God gave him strength to face his own death when that time came. When death came calling for David, he was ready for it, confident, as the Bible talks about in Philippians 1, that he who began a good work in him would carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. David sensed that. That hadn't even been written yet, but David just knew that. You know, I've seen that happen in many cases in our modern world. Um, as a pastor of 28 years or so, I've been with many people, and like maybe when somebody is given a diagnosis of, of some terminal illness, and they are told you have this many months to live, not many, and naturally, just like you or I would be, they are scared. And initially, it's really a very hard thing to deal with. But I have watched many people, as they go through that kind of situation, turn to the Lord, to the place, in a way that maybe they had not before, in an even deeper way, and trusted Him, and walked with Him, and let, them, let Him guide them and lead them through this dark valley of the shadow of death. And, and as they go through that, they have all of a sudden kind of turned a corner in terms of their focus, and their attitude, and their perspective, and they get to a place where they are, where they experience the peace that passes all understanding that God talks about in Philippians 4, and they eventually get to a place where they actually comfort those who come to comfort them in, in an incredible way, saying things like, like, thank you for coming, but oh, wow, oh, I just, I'm ready for this. You know, if, if God calls me home, I mean, I hope He heals me, but if He calls me home, I'm ready. I'm ready to go. I'm not afraid. See, the closer you get to Christ, the less you will fear death. Being confident that God, who will, God will indeed supply all your needs according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Again, from Philippians chapter 4. Well, finally, one more lesson to learn from David's story and how we face the fear of death that approaches for all of us someday is that we need to increasingly set our focus on eternal things and less on temporal things. As we read earlier, David said in Psalm 141, But my eyes are fixed on you, sovereign Lord. In you I take refuge. The Apostle Paul said this in 2 Corinthians 4. He said, though outwardly we are wasting away, inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporal, and what is unseen is eternal. 
We need to learn to do the same in life. You know, the Bible doesn't give us a whole ton of detail about heaven, but I think it gives us just enough. For me, it gives me plenty to speculate with and anticipate with, and I look forward to it. I am so fired up and excited about heaven. I don't have a death wish, but I'm eager to someday enjoy what God has been preparing for us. You know, the Bible teaches that when we die, our spirit slips out of our body, kind of like a a hand slips out of a glove. And the Scripture teaches to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Oh, I love that. That's in 2 Corinthians 5. You know, there's a lot I don't know about heaven, but I know enough to be excited. I know we're not going to just sit around on clouds and play a harp all day. I used to think that as a kid and think, oh, heaven sounds boring, but it's not that. I know we're going to be given new bodies that are going to be perfect in every way. I I know that there will be no more sadness or fear or worry or cancer or broken bones or depression or, or any of these kinds of things. No more bad in any respect. And yet, even greater than the absence of bad, which is fantastic, but even greater than the absence of bad will be the presence of good beyond what we can even begin to grasp or imagine. Here's how I like to think about that. I often say this at funerals for someone who has known the Lord and gone on to be with Him. In fact, I did so just a couple of weeks ago with a lovely lady, my neighbor, who came to know the Lord. And Anyway, I shared this, and, and I often do because it's so comforting for me, and I hope for others as well. That is this. You know, God created all that we know to exist in this world, which is a lot. There's a lot. I mean, Einstein once was quoted to say he thought he, at, at very most, knew maybe 1% of all that is to be known. And people thought he was still bragging, you know, at that point. But even in that case, I mean, we know so little of what is already created on this earth and in our, in our world and, you know, in our galaxy and all those things. And yet God created all of that in what? Six 24-hour periods. Six days. Well, I'm not super good at math, but Jesus went back to prepare a place for us that he said he would come and take us to be with him when, when the time is ready, when the time is right. And he did that about 2,000 years ago. You know how many days that is? It's not six. That's approximately 750,000 days. So if God Almighty can create all that we know to exist in love in this world in six days, what do you think he can do in 750,000 days? Wow. I, just, I find that so exciting and comforting. I mean, it just you know, you just try to let your imagination go and go, wow. I mean, heaven's going to just be off the chart beyond anything we can even begin to comprehend. It's so exciting to think about that. But you know, the best thing about heaven will be relationship. Love is what makes a house a home. And the best thing about heaven is going to be all the loving relationships that we get to enjoy for all eternity. Most of all, we will get to spend all eternity in relationship, in dialogue, in conversation with Almighty God, the creator of the cosmos. Can you imagine? We are going to get to have conversation with God and with Jesus, His Son, who, who, who came and lived and died and, and, and rose from the grave for us. And, and yet beyond even that, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 8 that we'll get to know and be in relationship with others like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And if we are in relationship and get to talk to them about all their stories, that means we get to talk to the others that will be there. I mean, can you imagine? You're going to get to sit down and say, hey, Noah, tell me about the ark. I, I want to know more about it. Or, hey, hey, Jonah, tell me, what, what was it like to be inside a belly of a fish? Oh, my word, for three days. Or, or, hey, Peter, tell me about walking on water. Or, hey, Lazarus, what was it like when you heard Jesus' voice and he told you to come out of the grave? Or, you, you name it, we'll get to be in relationship and talk with all of these and so many more. 
But beyond the patriarchs and all of these, we'll also get to meet others that we love. You are going to get to meet and be in relationship with my mom and with Kim's mom. And, uh, ah, man, I did that first service too, and I didn't think I was going to do that. But anyway, um, you will get to meet the two most amazing women I've ever known, save my wife, and, um, and, and, and get to see the world through their eyes, get to talk to them, and I will get to see and get to know and talk with those that you love, that maybe you've said goodbye to earlier than you wanted to. Maybe a parent, maybe a spouse, maybe a child, a best friend. Heaven is going to be about relationships that just are unbelievable. You know, I hold, heard an older man once say, the older you get, the less you fear death, because you have more friends in heaven than you do on earth. And, and an older lady in her upper 90s listened and said, well, that's true. And you know what? If I don't die pretty soon, some of my friends are liable to give up on me and think I didn't make it. <laughs> David said in Psalm 46, verse 1, he said, God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. Friends, Here's the bottom line. The more you focus and dwell on eternal things rather than temporal things, you'll find that your longing for heaven will keep on expanding and your fear of death will keep on receding. The more we focus on heaven, the less we are afraid of getting there. I want you to know as we close, Jesus said, in my Father's house, there's a room for you. There's a room for you room for you. There's a room for me. He also said in, in uh, Matthew 11, he said, come to me all who are weary and heavy burdened and I will give you rest. And he was talking here on earth, let alone what heaven's going to be like. Here's what I want to do next. I, or as we close, I want to ask if you would all stand. Would you stand with me? We're going to sing in just a moment. But before we do, I want to just make sure that it's clear that any and everybody who's here today can leave today with confidence, without any fear of death. I want to encourage you, if you've never done what Holly Galvin did in first service, and you've never been baptized into Jesus and given Him your heart, your whole heart and everything and surrendered to Him, I want to encourage you to come forward and do that today. Say, hey, Pastor, I, here you go. I'm here. I don't know what else to do, but can we talk about it? Can we pray about it? Can we get that done? You know, let's do it. We can do it today. We can do it later if you want, but I want to invite you to come and to surrender your life to the Lord. Nobody needs to walk out of here afraid of death because Jesus, with, with God, all things are possible and there is nothing to fear. He has not given you a spirit of fear and timidity, but one of power and love and self-discipline. And I want you to know that while our enemy threatens to turn us into slaves to fear, we don't have to be a slave to fear because you are, we all are a child of God. Amen? Amen. Let's sing about that and let's worship. And if you need to come forward, you do so as we sing. You unravel me with the melody you surround.